Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and the final part of our sixth installment feature, Remembering Gilles de Farron, bringing us home, good friend of Gilles, former stable mate, former rival, someone who affected him in so many positive ways on and off the track, that being three-time Indianapolis 500 winner, Dario Franchitti, four-time IndyCar champion. Ah, always a delight to spend some time with Dario, especially when we are waxing on about someone we both had immense care and love for. I'm going to let Dario share the various ways he was influenced by Gilles and the special relationship that they had. And then we'll get into some closing thoughts as we wrap up this series. Our show, as always, is brought to you by FAF Technologies, next-generation composite engineering and manufacturing capabilities in the outskirts of Toronto, Canada. The Justice Brothers, makers of premium automotive chemicals and lubricants, and torontomotorsports.com, purveyors of wonderful motorsports memorabilia. So let's get going with our guy, Dario Franchitti, spinning a final yarn, final episode of Remembering Gilles de Farron. Brother, we have lost, oh man, we have lost one of the good ones. Uh, when you think about somebody and your first reaction is to smile and for it to be a, a, a bit of a giggle going, oh man, what a character beyond the trophies and all the success, but just what a great, great guy. I think Gilles DeFerrin falls into that category for so many of us. And you, much like him, a similar, similar career trajectory, right? On that path, hoping to reach F1, opportunity being rerouted to America. You got here just a couple years after Gilles, but the two of you fought like cats and dogs and cart uh, for a good while. Why don't you tell me, though, Dario, when do you remember meeting my favorite block-headed Brazilian. When did your, your paths cross? So, yeah, you're absolutely right, Marshall. Um, we've absolutely, we've definitely lost one of the, one of the good guys. Um, I first met him 1992, the Paul Stewart racing. Um, funny, Mark Stewart and I were in the same place at the moment. And when we found out about Gilles, we, we kind of, we got together and we just spent a, a day reminiscing about our, our pal. And I was laughing. I was like, you guys were the, were the, the sort of the, the big boys at school. You know, the, the, the older Paul, Paul Stewart was doing 3000. Gilles was doing F3. David Coulthard was doing 3000. And those were the, the guys that were sort of a bit ahead. But I remember, um, basically the first time we met, they put us all, they stood us in the line and, and introduced us as the posture racing drivers of, of 92. And, um, you know, I would see Gilles around the posture racing factory. So I was slightly in awe of him at first. Um, you know, and he would always spend a lot of time upstairs around about, there was a, a, a lady worked there called Angela and he spent a lot of time around Angela's desk and uh, <laughs> that seemed to work out okay because they got married and had two incredible kids. Um, but that was that was my first um, sort of introduction to Gilles. And um, when I was having some struggles in Formula 3, Gilles actually came and drove the car 
and spent a day trying to help me um, understand where I was going wrong and essentially overdriving the car. And it was it was very helpful. And that was my first insight into this. Um, it's way of doing it and this way of not just driving a racing car, but thinking through driving a racing car, setting a racing car up and all those things. And um, that, that had a big effect on me actually and how I then approached things from then on because he was so cerebral about it. But I made the mistake when I first went to America of thinking because he was so such a deep thinker that in some way he was maybe less than aggressive on the track. And I made that mistake once because he he could he go toe to toe with the with the best of them as far as just aggression and, and racecraft and laying it all on the line and just bravery. I mean that lap he did at uh Fontana, two hundred and forty one mile an hour lap, the bravery that it took. Forget the fact he had the big engine in the back and all that stuff. The bravery that it took to do that was incredible. But that when you had that bravery, but that brain as well as the skill, man, he was he was hard to beat. And obviously in the early days he had good years and stuff, but he, he made the most of what he had. You raise a couple of brilliant points here, mate, where, yeah, uh, at a time where Firestone had come in a few years prior, um, but Firestone quickly established itself as the tire brand to have to the point to where if you did not <sighs> – you were likely a, a rare visitor to Victory Lane. He indeed, through his first stint with Jim Hall, the Hall VDS team, and then with Derek Walker as well, uh, had some great power plants, had some great engineers, great teams, but tires were often a limitation, and yet he was able to still do some big, big things. But you mentioned this duality as a driver the thinking driver, the person who breaks down every facet of the sport and looks for ways to optimize them. And then also can be that very smart, mindful driver, but also switch on that kind of lizard brain maximum attack. I look at you. I look at Pagano and think in modern terms, boy, there's, there's a pretty cool legacy, if, if that's a correct way to put it, but working style and practice because you on the boil was something to watch. Holy crap, get out of the way. This guy's going to P1. You, the rest of y'all are fighting over the second step on the podium, but also had that really smart scholastic way. You're, you're famous for your note-taking. And, hey, when we were here six years ago on a test day, we tried this thing. Let me look back at my notes. And I wonder if going to that might be the solution for the thing. I see you guys as, as very much links in a, in a common chain with Gilles. And it is awesome to hear Dario about how even just that test day of him climbing in the car was very much of a revelation. Tell me about getting to know that guy more and more. Now is you coming over to cart to where okay, this guy seems like almost the perfect package. What what would happen if he were dropped into a team like Team Penske? And, <laughs> holy crap, we saw. Yeah. You know, that we had the same teacher, right? We had, Jackie was our teacher. You know, whether you were, you know, me, young Scottish guy, 
David Coulthard, young Scottish guy, young Brazilian guy who wanted to be Scottish, Gilles. Um, we all took it. We're all smart enough to take advantage of this teacher, of this font of knowledge. Um, and so that's, I think, that's why we sort of ended up the way we did. Um, you know, forget talent, all that sort of stuff. The application that we put into it maybe was because of that, because we watched Jackie. It's like, right, okay, that's how you do it. Um, and you make a great point with Simon Paginot because Gilles was Simon's teacher. And Simon took full advantage of it and was smart enough to take full advantage and go, ah, that's how you do it. Um, you know, you go back to those, those Goodyear days. I remember I think it was Toronto. Um, Gilles qualified on the pole. I qualified second. Um, and it was just so apparent. You know, the first corner, Toronto, those Goodyears just weren't up to temperature. They were great for one lap or whatever. But I just drove around them and drove away. And that was the limit of the Goodyear tyres. But any glimmer he got, he just maximised it. Um, and he had some big shunts too. He had some monster shunts. Yeah. Um, and then he gets straight back in and get on with it. But the when him and Greg were announced, I think it was Detroit. Him and Greg were announced as the as the new Penske teammates for two thousand. We all went, oh shit, because he had that just raw talent in Greg and very smart but there's a rawness to that and then this thinking guy of Gilles with like with the the all the, the, the everything that Penske could provide and they were going to Reynard Honda Firestone I was like oh god this is going to be a powerhouse um, and obviously we never got to see what Greg could have done in that but my God, did we see what, what Gilles could with those couple of championships? And um, man, he, that was a pain in the ass. I was going through a hard time anyway because of accidents that I'd had and stuff and, and damage I'd done to myself. But God, he was he was hard to beat at that point. And um, you know, as as was Elio. You know, Elio again learned from from Gilles. Was smart enough to do that. Um, but oh, that was his. That was definitely his sweet spot, wasn't it? That those two years, and then he went to what was the IRL, and he won that five hundred and three with a broken back. I know that was because him and I were. I was in Scotland with my broken back from a bike accident. He'd had the crash, and we were sort of, you know, calling back and forwards, talking about the effects of the various drugs that were given us. <laughs> Did we think we were going to be ready for indie and the good ones, all yeah. this? Yeah, exactly. And then it became apparent that, you know, he was going to be back and I wasn't. And bloody hell, he went and did it, didn't he? And that was, uh, that was, that was impressive. I try not to veer too much into fantasy and what ifs, but I know I have had more than one thought, brother, of what if we had not lost Greg and like you learning from some of the great veteran drivers uh, you were in and among, like Dixie, right? Scott Dixon, getting to work with you. He was already a very complete driver, but learned many things from you, constantly adding to his skill set. I have spent a little bit of time over the years wondering, what if Greg was able to drive for Roger? spend a couple of years next to Gilles 
add some of those many things that made Jill so special to uh, to his armor. Like that's that's a terrifying concept. Greg Moore onboarding some of Jill's finer attributes. Uh, uh, wow. Do you know I never thought about that, Marshall? I never thought about it until we've had this conversation. I always thought Greg in a Penske car, wow. You know, how many times have we had that conversation? How many 500s would he have won? Blah, blah, blah. We've always had that. I never thought about it because he was, Greg was smart. He, as I say, had this raw talent. But man, he was no idiot. And he would have picked up on on the, the education of Shield. You know what I mean? He would have been right in there. And that, girl, that would have been even harder <laughs> because, um, you know, Gilles was a good teacher. That was the thing. He had he had that ability to communicate the way that Jackie does. And he actually would even talk. His hand would make the same gesture as he was communicating with you. And a lot of times he would, you know, he would do it in a Jackie Stewart voice. He did a very good Jackie impression, <laughs> as as we all sort of did. <laughs> but he, he had that communication skill. Um, which is why I think he did such a bloody good job at uh, at McLaren um, in recent years, and um, because of that ability to communicate. And uh, you know, I think Dixie, I'm sure, told you that too. Dix, Dix, one of Scott's best gifts is learning from everybody he comes into contact with. And um, you put a communicator like like GDF and in, in their pool. And that, that's it's a very powerful thing. Something Dixie spoke about, Dario, and obviously Gilles was winding down his full-time career around the time Dixie was starting to ramp up into his full-time IndyCar career. So there was a little bit of intersection, but not too much. But one thing he mentioned was trust. We could be barreling into whatever corner at a trillion miles an hour and, you know, uh, <clears throat> late 90s early 2000s cart car is something we all basically get down on our knees and pray to even these days right as just mm -hmm. the greatest uh but dixie said you know hard hard on track fighter but someone i could trust someone who i knew wasn't going to plant me into the weeds or send me you know mm -hmm. rocketing through the air you were fortunate to have uh, more years of battling uh Gilles in cart you talk about that guy the on-track guy that you went uh, up against in your earlier years as well who was that guy you know he won just as you say that the crossover with him and scott he won his last race but yeah. on pole <laughs> his last empty car race is like when he did that, I just thought, no, that's how you go out. <laughs> that's how you do it. And to the point that in 2005, when I won the race at Fontana, I thought, I might retire. Because I didn't think there was anything cooler than, than that microphone drop that he did. Just, all right, bye. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> um, You know, on, again, on track, I... I I made the mistake once of thinking, ah, it's my mate Gilles. We've known each other for at that time, 20 years, whatever, or, and ah, I would be fine. No, nah. he, he, I, he pushed and he took, you know, he was very aggressive, not in a dangerous way. No, don't, don't get me wrong. Not in a dangerous way, but there was no, um, 
being no doubt that he was he was taking what is what did they, he was taking his half out of the middle, shall we say? And mm. he was he was determined. And um, but yeah, a, a consummate racing driver. Um, he he absolutely racecraft wise was very very good. I for years I um, I would give him a hard time because I did a race and. Pike's Peak in 03 after I broke my back and I shouldn't have done the race because my back was still broken and I hadn't had the surgery yet and the, you could actually hear and feel it moving oh. through the corners with the G-forces it was really stupid that I did it the Pike's anyway, Peak Jill Oval knew, uh, if I remember correctly that was on the IRL calendar yeah yes yeah like a mile oval or something and I I told you I hadn't told many people that I was in a bit of bother and <laughs> He made this lunge at the turn one and he ran out of road and he pushed me right up into the grate. And for years, I gave him a hard time about it. I'm talking like last year. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, mate, are you ever going to let it go? And I, I said, <laughs> and I said to Mark Stewart of the night, I said, I think it's maybe time to finally let it go. <laughs> the 20th anniversary uh, tour. We're going to, we're going to shut it down after uh, 20 We're going to shut it down. Oh. Well, I had to give him a hard time about something, right? I, I just, you know, that, and that's the other side of Joe that people did not see is, man, he was fun. What he knew how to live life. You got him and DC and Paul Stewart and those guys just all together and they're laughing. I mean, barely laughing at these just lunatics. They had so, they lived life. And it was, it was wonderful to, to, to see that and, uh, and that was, you know, for all the stuff we got to do on track and everything, but just getting to know Gilles more when we stopped um, really racing was was a real highlight. And um, to me, if that was the, the yeah, wonderful driver, all that stuff, most incredible talent. But man, what a, what a kind person! What a and not the stuff you would think. What a kind man! When when Ellie came to her first race, Angela, Anna, Luke, and Gilles took her round. Just bumped into her, said, "Oh, hello," you know. And from and they looked after her, and just the kindness. Um, but just another string to his his bow. Thinking about all that he gave us, thinking about his ongoing contributions as well. You mentioned. His involvement with McLaren, Zach Brown was kind to really dive in and lay so many flowers at his feet for his involvement in turning around a very moribund McLaren F1 team. Not Again, not the only person, but a vital cog in that. I'd love to get your thoughts, brother, about this new chapter in Gilles' life, which started in 2008 when Honda, uh, Honda Performance Development, now HRC US, said, we want you to be part of our factory America Le Mans series. Uh, LMP2 program initially, that was 2008, then switched to uh, your favorite ever car in 2009. <laughs> By the, and I've, we're going to do a separate podcast just on the ARX 02A and spin some yarn. Oh, holy please. Uh, I know. I need to vent on that car. Yeah. <laughs> some adult beverages might be needed before you and I capture that one. But uh, 
Tell me about getting to know this new side of your old friend as team principal and driver. And again, obviously in more recent years, uh, as sporting director, advisor, someone where you go, okay, you're no longer having to rely strictly on turning a steering wheel to make a living. And you and I both know there are a number of folks who've gone from the cockpit to team ownership or similar, and they haven't necessarily found a lot of success in life. This guy immediately does with DeFerrin Motorsports and continues onwards. Tell me about seeing that. I'm guessing it didn't surprise yeah. you. No, it didn't because you look at who he employed. You know, straight away, John Anderson is Rondo. like, boom, put Andrew involved. He's like, oh, like, well, that's a good move. Well, there you go. All right. And that took the pressure off Shields straight away to allow him to not be worried about the the finer detail of running a race team, if you know what I mean. It allowed him to focus really on his strengths. And, um, you know, I was competing at that point. There's a couple of times I drove the, the Duncan Dayton's car for, you know, with the, the Patron car, I drove that a couple of times on Highcroft, and we were competing against Gilles and those guys. And uh, um, that was maybe a time when I got to see, again, that, that deep thinker, you know, that whole way of uh, he would, with, it, with, the, with the problems with the power steering of that car or some of the issues we had in the early days with the fact that it had rear tyres on the front and watching how Gilles dealt with that, how he was able to help steer the, the direction of development to try and fix that bloody car. Um, <laughs> it was, that was impressive. Um, but then... When he, when he hired him at McLaren, I thought, bloody hell, that's inspired. Because it's one thing being a deep thinker, but another thing, if you can communicate those thoughts and have that brain that is organized and all those things. He knows how a good team works. He can look and he can see where the, the weak spots are, all that stuff. And, you know, him and I had talked a lot over over the years of what my job at Grassy was, what his job there was, and we would sort of occasionally, we definitely didn't talk shop, but we talked uh, some of our experiences on it. Um, and when he had that sort of hiatus from that job, I was worried about him mm. because his brain is just so, just was churning all the time. And he just wanted to, you know, he had to be doing something and, and it, great cook. I mean, wonderful. Go in this house, the breakfast, Gilles breakfast was fantastic. Trust me. But that wasn't, he wasn't fulfilled with that and he needed to do stuff. And when he, when he got the, you know, when, when Zach was, was smart enough to bring him back in the fold there, it was like, it was such a big thing for, for Gilles to, to be able to go and do that again. And, uh, and as you've mentioned already, the contribution has been massive. So, um, yeah, that was cool to see. Why don't we close on this, brother? Left a lot behind before we started recording. I shared with you some of the big revelations I had, which I'd never really put together beforehand, but of what he meant to me in my career uh, and the very amazing path and adjustments I made as a result of Gilles and a friendship formed, you know, independent of that as well. But 
you have this strange thing that we never want to have to do, and that is talk about the ones we really cared for and loved in the past tense and thinking about what they gave us, what they left behind, whether it's to us as individuals, to the sport as a whole. What comes to mind, brother? Well, to me, in a lot of ways, I had a a slightly different relationship for most of my life because I was competing against Gilles. So although we were friends, we were very much competitors. And it was the before, but certainly the after, of being able to enjoy him as a person and to then be able to look back historically and look at what he achieved in the car. Um, You know, just go back to the Fontana lap record, for instance. At the time, I was just massively pissed off that we were X miles an hour slower. But I think pretty much every young driver I've had at Ganassi would have been sitting there going, hey, come watch this, and showed them the Gilles lap if they hadn't seen it. I, that, to me, I've been able to, to appreciate what he did in the car, but then enjoy him as a friend out of the car. It, um, yeah, it's sort of... Well, just it, Right now, it just sucks. It just happened. I don't know even though you know, I'm now at a loss for words. That what's happened is just tragic. And uh, yeah, you know, to say you and I have had too many of these calls in recent years, brother, talking about those who yeah. uh, were pillars, just real pillars in our lives, who were uh, no longer with yeah. us. Can I? I'll, I'll give you my final thought on Jill. My last. I think it might have been one of the last times I saw him. And every year at Indy, they, they put us old guys out on the parade with our families on their cars and we wave. And Because you won an 03 and I won an 07. Um, sometimes, most of the time, actually, we were nose to tail. Mm. And our families would would take, we'd, we'd take pictures of the ferns, they would take pictures of us, we'd wave, we'd shout abuse at each other. <laughs> um, we'd blow kisses. And I think that was my last... I think that was one of the last times I saw him, and then I saw him at Goodwood Revival. But that we had a lovely time at the revival. Um, but that last lasting impression of of the four, the Ferrans, you know, Anna, Angela, and Luke and Gilles, all waving at the crowd and then turning around and waving at us. That that would be my you know, big old smile on his, his his big old head. That was um, yeah, that's how I remember him. Thank you, brother. Thanks once again to Dario for joining us, bringing us even deeper into what made Jill such an incredibly special person, athlete, legend, inspiration, just so many things, and a heck of a lot of fun away from the racetrack. If you get a chance, pay a visit to marshallpruittpodcast.com almost 1500 episodes cataloged there and a variety of other items you just might enjoy thanks again for listening speak to you soon